You're tuned to Westwood Television. Welcome to the third in our series of podcasts looking back at old contests. This time we're going to look back at 1969, one of the most infamous contests in history, and also one of the first in colour. Yes, remember colour, not that old black and white. A contest which is known now for the result rather than the songs. Let's see if we can teach you young'uns a thing or two, and for us old'uns, let's reminisce. Spanish television has great pleasure in greeting you from the Royal Theatre in Madrid. Well, uh, welcome all viewers who are now looking in on the 14th Eurovision Song Contest. Song number one was Yugoslavia, who had seemingly sent four suited men to Madrid singing a song which was, seemingly, Three minutes of Slav saying a cheery hello in all sorts of different languages. In fact, a cursory look at the lyrics confirms that 17 out of the 30 lyric lines are indeed good day in various tongues, including Finnish and Russian. Why? Well, you might ask. It turns out that the song's entitled Greetings to the World, so no wonder really, ask a stupid question and all that. The song itself is mostly a call and answer song, with the lead singer saying hello and the backing singers answering him back just in case they'd all forgotten the words. There's a tune lurking there somewhere, but it's buried so deeply that you need a JCB to find it. 2019 me just thinks that Yugoslavia 69 are taking the piss and being lazy songwriters with a clearly cynical attempt to get countries to vote for them because he said words in my language in it. Pathetic. No wonder only five jurors thought this was the best song of the night and they were clearly off their heads on smack. The second song, drawn in the position of death, was Luxembourg. Now, for a country that had won the contest three times in the first 11 years, you'd think they'd know how to write a song. However, this sadly proves they can't. Romuald is a suave cabaret singer singing about his first love, Catherine. Catherine, Catherine, nous avions 10 ans. Souvenez-vous, Catherine, au jardin d'enfants. But seriously, in a kindergarten, at ten, how long are you in the Luxembourgeois scholastic system for? And Catherine's a bit of a bitch in the following stanzas. Because the fat cow takes his bread and chocolate and then proceeds to go cold on Ramold with dreams of Prince Charming. No wonder he's a broken man. The song, despite all of this, isn't a complete dirge and Romuald sings a boppy song, though I suspect that's all the volume he's on for the heartbreak the witch has imposed on him. Oh, 
There is a mantra in Eurovision circles, just because you can doesn't mean you should. One of the first people for whom that rule is made is clearly Salome, as she's rocked up to one of the first contests in colour in something that would make the entire 26 households across Europe who could see it in its so-called glory or twiddle with their vertical hold. Shut that door, shut that door, it's freezing cold in here. Shut that door, shut that door, I'm feeling rather queer. On the face of it, this song doesn't have much going for it, apart from a chorus that gets in your head because you hear it so damn often through the bloody three minutes that Salome's singing it. In fact, there's an argument that this song is all chorus and no verse, as it's sung five times in total, but it does have three count them, three key changes. <laughs> Clearly they knew their modern day audience back in 1969 and could well be ahead of their time in the fan wank stakes. As we all know, this was one of the four songs tied on 18 votes at the end. Given a choice, I'd rank it as the second winner, but I'll reveal the rest as we go on. Next up, we have a boy dressed in the same colour clothing as Salome, singing about his Oedipus complex. Jean-Jacques was only 12 years old when he sung this in front of about a billion people on international television, and it's clearly not scarred him at all, because he's gone on from this to become a rugby coach in later life. He's clearly been forced to do this by pushy parents, as he has a woefully forced grin on his face throughout the entire three minutes that the jurors and me have had to endure this for. It's about him growing up too quickly, hating adult life, especially the shit bits, remembering his mum will get old and wishing he was still a child with her. He no doubt had even stranger outlooks on life when he hit puberty, I think. I checked the score for this one and discovered that 11 sane people thought this was the best song on the night. Ireland came on the stage next, and you ought to tell what kind of song it's going to be by the introduction. However, the Eurovision Pop contest that the orchestra are entering gives nothing away about the song. Yes, it's up-tempo, and yes, it's bouncy, but it's one of the first examples of a song written by using the big old book of Eurovision clichés. I cite the following example. Love is very nice if you pay the price. Also, from a still Catholic and conservative island, entitling a song called Wages of Love wasn't very empowering to the women of Europe. Indeed, the lyric sounds very subservient with lines such as this. And at no stage does it tell you what the Irish PAYE scheme for a bit of rumpy pumpy is all about. What do you deposit? 
Do your investments go down as fast as you do? I've told you about that before. I suspect the ten jurors who thought this was the best song were either confused or wanting to deposit into Muriel's bank. It's not a great song, though, despite what her hacksaw tells you. The wages of love, the wages of love, the wages of love. Eva Zanichi had won the 1969 San Remo Song Festival, but not with this song, with this one. Rai then said, come and have a go at Eurovision Grande and see if you can win that one. Eva can be described as having classical Roman looks. Yeah, she's got a massive nose. But despite that, even back in 1969, having a semi-decent song didn't exempt you from looking down the camera. And at hardly any point in this song does she do that. I guess she would say that she's performing the song for her audience in the hall. However, even back in pre-televoting days, your 600 million back at home would have liked her to sing at them, even in a language they didn't understand. The song itself is only two and a half minutes long, and she stops singing some 15 seconds from the end of it. That makes me feel short-changed on the whole, as it seems to be rushed towards a non-existent climactic ending, and the jurors clearly penalised her for that. A mere five of them thought this was the best song of the night. Perhaps, though, had the full three minutes been used and a rousing ending put on the end, it might have risen up the rankings. The next two songs both have similarities, and yet at the same time widely differing musical styles. Both in 3-4 time, both sung by female singers, both ended up being joint winners of the contest, but the first of them, Boom Bang A Bang by Lulu, has rather disparagingly become a byword for Eurovision in general in the United Kingdom. Come closer, come closer and listen, the beat of my heart keeps on missing, I notice it most And it's not a terrible song either. It's certainly of its time and has clearly been written to appeal for the juries. Not unlike songs in 2019, really. Unlike 2019, though, is the fact that the BBC pursued a big star to sing the song, Lulu. She's on record as not liking this song as much as the others, but it wasn't her choice. And then she went and made the best of it by having absolutely no styling or consulting at all and wearing a shocking pink dress contrasting violently with those of her backing singers, the BBC there, buggering up staging since the invention of colour telly. This song would end up being a commercial success for Lulu, being her highest chart hit until the 90s, but in the contest where it mattered the most, it could only garner those 18 votes from around Europe. For me, the third best winner. Yeah, don't do that. 
The second song, The Netherlands, it could be argued is the diametric opposite of the UK and still got the same results. If Lulu was the girl next door with the cute smile and dimples, Lenny Coeur was the girl down the street who always had rickets. Like Lulu though, her styling o consulting was also in dire need of a makeover, and the Dutch had dressed her in a not very flattering red dress. Thankfully, this didn't matter a jot, because when she struck up the guitar, the magic happened. She might be the ugly duckling, but by Christ does she change into a swan when she's singing this song. You live the song through her facial expressions. You can tell that she believes every single word she's singing to you, and even though you don't know a word of Dutch, you still believe her, and towards the end of the song when her facial expression turns angry, you will her to the end of it and hope for a stirring ending, which indeed you get and that's the payoff of this song. This one was the most overlooked by the juries, except for the French jury who gave it six votes, and it may not surprise you to know from what I've just said, this is my favourite winner amongst the four. I'm the storyteller, and my stories must be told. I have many stories, tales for both the young and old. Another song that should have been up there in the 18-point club came next, Sweden, no, don't cloud your judgement with the modern incarnation of Swedish songs written by committee. Back in the old days, they could write very good songs with one songwriter. Tommy Schorberg, then 21, walked onto stage, tugged at the microphone cable, and then sung a sublime three minutes of late 1960s pop music. Judy, min vän du älskar, saker vill att TV och bil Din väg är kampad av lyx och frilla, det är inte he knew where the red light on the camera was, and boy did he play up to it. Winsome looks, nods and pointing in all the right places, a properly engaging performance. He's someone to whom singing comes easily, and it really showed, and if the package was anything to go by, he was far and away the best performer on the night. However, for reasons still only known to themselves, he was totally ignored by the first half of the scoring, to such a degree that out of the possible 80 votes he could have gained, he'd scored just the one. And I have to tip my hat to that one French juror. You, sir or madam, clearly do have class. The second half only garnered him a further seven votes. This could be one of the few times Sweden genuinely deserved to win. Is that going a little bit too far? Now, before I launch into the next song, I was in fact on my lunch break at work whilst writing this script and have nearly just spat my Diet Coke out when I discovered that Belgium, up next, scored 10 first place votes, two more than Sweden. I don't get it, Ted. <laughs> to my eyes, Louis Neff seems too old to sing this song. But a quick look at Wiki told me he was a mere 32 when he was singing this. You can hear the shock and awe in my voice, can't you? 
Jennifer Jennings could be an homage to the Hollies' 1968 hit Jennifer Eccles. I love Jennifer Eccles. But I suspect it's more by accident than design. What is by design, however, is that Lewis has more than a passing resemblance to Paul Jones from Manfred Mann. Yeah, you're all going to have to look that up, aren't you? And that's before my diabetic eyes have cleared in the morning. Jennifer Jennings could have been the theme to a 60s TV show made by Lou Grade. You know, something like Department S or Jason King, get back on wiki. But alas, it ended up in Madrid instead. It really is the definition of easy listening. Completely inoffensive, with a decent tune, and Lewis's voice is nice enough, but to me it's more of a background track to go out to swinging London town of an evening, rather than a sit-up-and-think-it's-the-best-song kind of song. Oh, you know what I mean. Lewis seemingly gets an electric shock through the floor during this song as well in one of the choruses. He convulses alarmingly, throwing his hands up in the air like he really doesn't care. Neither did I, but the Eurovision clip shows love a bit of Lewis. Yeah, thanks girls. Earlier on in the piece, we had a song which was roughly translated as Good Day, Good Day. Whereas now, for Switzerland, we have a song roughly translated as, well, Good Day, Good Day. Paola would be in love with two-word song titles, it seems, as when she came back to the contest in 1980, she would sing one of my personal favourites, Cinema, uh, oh, cinema, how silly of me to forget. Cinema, 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 cinema. However, 11 years before that seminal moment, she gets lumbered with this song, which, whilst having the air of the swinging 60s, and I could easily see it being the soundtrack to a travelogue from Alan Wicker of Monaco or Cannes, circa 1969, it's sung in German, which makes it feel very clunky. It also runs out of ideas quickly, and is the same two or three phrases of music stuck together to make it three minutes long. Not sure if that makes it decent, or just grating. What I am sure of, however, is that the last verse didn't need to be slowed down and sped up towards the end, like a number from an end of the Peer musical circa 1890. However, 13 jurors thought this was the best song and it ended up in 5th place. I just feel that's a touch too high for it though. Kirsty Sparbo turned out again for Norway in 1969 after garnering a mere 2 votes 2 years earlier. Norway seemed to be going through somewhat of a slump, well, with the exception of this, really. Hey, 
Quick note for you fact fans, Norway scored 28 votes between 62 and 68, and good old Orsa there scored 15 of them in one hit. Suffice it to say their chances of garnering more votes were hampered by the idea behind this song that would make the current Me Too generation spontaneously combust. She's singing about her philandering man who, it seems, always likes to play away, and in time Kirsty hopes to have a party for one with him and him alone. Seems as though the Tinder generation would have swiped right on her man and moved straight on to something else, but things were clearly different in the 60s. What wasn't different, however, was the result. A single, solitary Swedish voter thought this was the best song. Yeah, I know, beggar's belief, doesn't it? This did so badly and sold hardly any copies that whilst officially NR Corp Blimey failed to participate in 1970 because of the four-way tie shenanigans, spoilers, I suspect they needed a year off to save face. That, ladies and gentlemen, is one hell of an ending. People think that Swedes doing everything in the contest is a new thing. They really need to look back into the history, because here's one now. Siv, born in Landskrona, which is quite some distance from Berlin, I'll have you know, entered the contest for Sweden back in 1960. Nine years later, she's done a moonlight flit and decided to be a singer of fortune for those Germanic peoples. It's not surprising, though. Seems at the time she was quite popular in Germany. The song itself is a curious mix of Schläger and Apophrical Tale. Clearly the feel of the song is the Schläger mode with it being happy and bouncy and stuff and performed really well by Siv, but a look at the lyric hides something much darker. Essentially, the song's about Siv singing to a little porcelain ballerina who just pirouettes on a clock, and who, Siv says, will never find love. I think someone's acting out her evil witch fantasy here and saying to the younger singers, What are you going to do when your beauty fades, my pretty? Clearly not in the style of Philip Kirkorov. Although it makes me look at the marvellous Siv in a whole new disturbed light, I can tell you. Eight jurors thought her beauty would never fade and cast their votes in the hope that she wouldn't cast a spell on them. Burn her, the French song up next, confuses me. It didn't confuse Europe though, as they too gave it 18 points, so it was a quarter winner. But to me, it's the weakest of the four. Un jour se lèvera sur trois branches de lilas qu'un enfant regardera. It's the only one that's typical of the Eurovision at that time, with Frida being the stereotypical France chanteuse singing about what I take to be a child drawing in a book. La forme du 
However, this is also a prime example of a trick that we would see all too well throughout the following years, making a two minute song last very nearly three. The song has a mere 12 lines of lyric, and the tune is so boring and turgid that it makes me want to take my own wisdom teeth out, because quite frankly, that will be less excruciating than listening to or watching this song any more than is legally permissible in the UK. It feels totally out of kilter with a song contest that is exciting and new. Because it's just so old fashioned, and even looking back on it 50 years later, it does nothing for me. As we all know, however, looking back at something gives us 2020 vision. In the context of 1969, that difference and familiarity found favour with the juries enough for it to be up there, and I can't argue with that. Well, I can. They were wrong, but <laughs> too late now. Song number 15 was Portugal. This song really has to be looked at with two hats on. Looking at the song in the context of the contest, it really wasn't very good at all. It had all the right ingredients to be a banger. Singer with experience. Tick. Dramatic song and powerful performance. Tick. Sadly though, the whole three minutes seems very underwhelming, with Simone being bedecked in a green chiffon dress that she was wafting about as an extension of herself, and wearing massive Bet Lynch type earrings. This was probably not the look RTP were going for, but the one they found themselves with. Simone tries to emote through this song, but falls short of the mark, and in part she seems to have given up, and is forever battling the orchestra that's playing too loud in the second half of the song, and you can hardly hear her in the third verse. Not a performance filled with confidence, and even the brass sections glides over by the end. And yet, having scored just a meagre four points, if you're Portuguese right now, you're probably sticking pins in the voodoo doll of me that you've just made. Simone has become a bona fide national treasure for lucifones everywhere. The song has taken on an identity of its own so much so that when she performed unannounced on the stage in the fan park at Eurovision 2018, grown men who I know very well were openly telling me this was the best thing they'd seen in years. Another song then that proves you don't have to win the thing to have a successful career outside of the contest. Four points are sustained over 50 years. If only certain others would take a leaf out of her book. Finland and good are not necessarily two words you put together in a Eurovision context, but that's what we're going to have here, the 16th and final song of the contest. Despite Yarko and Laura looking not unlike Patsy Rowlands from the Carry On films and Joe Brown, you're going to have to Google both of those, see the pictures and go, mm, yeah, that's right. The Finn selected a song that was more chorus with a bit of verse tacked on the end than fully formed song.
There were even some props on stage, a hat and a cane that Yarko used to no particular effect for the first verse or two. During that first verse, Yarko gets close to Laura. Indeed, too close. You can see her personal space being invaded, not because he liked her, but because the two of them were clustering around one microphone. Those were the days when a person's rape space was clearly not sacred. Just when you thought those pesky fins had missed a trick with the 1920s hats and canes though, in the instrumental break, Yarko goes absolutely off his nuts twirling the cane and playing with his hat. No, not a euphemism. And so that completes the 1969 Eurovision Song Contest, as they say. There will be fallout from this for many years to come, specifically in 1970, but we'll get to that eventually. Uh, quick copyright notice, of course, on Europe has no copyright to any of the music you've just heard, just the things that I'm speaking to you. So, you know, don't try and sue me, I've got no money. And so until October, where 1977 will be in my sights, um, enjoy the sun, bye! And just a final reminder about your sets. Don't forget to turn them off, will you? Good night.